Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. First, my live show is coming up this Friday, May 10th at 7 p.m. at Sunset Center. Be sure to listen to the sponsor break coming up in this episode before 8 straight, because I'm going to announce the identity of my guest for the evening. Tickets for the live show are $10 and available now at bit.ly.heylive. That's B-I-T dot L-Y. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Kara Hendricks, financial advisor with Edward Jones. I wish I had started saving for retirement earlier. And if that's something that you always seem to be thinking about but not actually doing, you need to talk to Kara. She specializes in high-quality, tailored investments for investors of all ages and financial means. And she works to treat clients like she would want to be treated. To get started, call Kara at 806-358-8346 today. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Today's guest is Doshan Johnson. I met Doshan back in January at a reception for the North Heights Art Project, and almost as soon as we started talking, I knew he needed to be a guest on the show. First, Doshan has started a nonprofit that is building new apartments in the North Heights, the first new development in that community in decades. Secondly, Doshan has just an amazing personal story. He grew up in poverty, but had a real entrepreneurial bent, even as a kid. And so when it came time for him to start helping out his family, he turned to the easiest way to make money he could find, which was dealing drugs. And as a result, Doshan spent a few years in the state prison system. But that experience also brought him opportunity because his intelligence and his work ethic and his potential were always on full display, even in prison. So I wanted him to tell that story. I really enjoyed spending time with him for this interview. Here's Doshan Johnson. Doshan Johnson, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. No problem. I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> well, good. I, I'm glad you're excited. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, so, you know, before we get into some of the things that you're involved with, uh, I'd, I'd like to just kind of hear your story. How did how did you end up in the Amarillo area in the first place? Well, my mom was born in Plainview. I was born there in Plainview and was actually born at home on the couch. Were you really? <laughs> yes. So Was that... On purpose, or was that sort of uh, uh, an kinda, accident? More, more like finances, you know. Okay, so <laughs> it's cheaper than uh, than hospital. <clears throat> right, right. So, born in a generation of poverty, and uh, nevertheless, shortly after I was born, my mother moved to Amarillo, and I've been here ever since. Since I was literally a baby. Okay, what did your mom do? What brought her to Amarillo? Just seeking a you know more freedom, uh, you know, a different life. Uh, she was born into generational poverty as well, and uh, she was uh, one of eleven children. So, wow. I mean, she was, just, and she was the oldest, by the way. So, and she was more like a worker slash daughter slash. <laughs> so, nevertheless, uh, she moved to Amarillo, just seeking a different life. My grandfather was very strict, so she moved away and just tried to just kind of make it out on her own. Now, was was your family pretty big? I mean, were you one of several kids? Actually, I'm uh, one of four. My mother had four children. Uh, there's, uh, I have a brother who's older, uh, and then there's me. I have a younger brother and a younger sister, but my, my sister uh, passed away. What do you remember about you know, your childhood in Amarillo growing up here? 
that we were very, very, very poor. Uh, in fact, a lot of the poor people used to laugh at us. And I always remember my mom saying, uh, well, I don't know why they're laughing at us. You know, they're just as poor as we are. But honestly, I, looking back on it, I, I don't think they were quite as poor as us. <laughs> so you, you've referred to that as generational poverty. Um, yes. I want to give people kind of an idea of what that's like. I mean, if you haven't lived in it, what did it look like as a kid? What were some of the things that maybe you or your family struggled with? Well, uh, I'll be honest, you know, a, a lot of the kids in the neighborhood and, and, and we actually knew them, you know, and growing up and you know, when you're young, you know, you have those little, you know, everybody kind of makes fun and stuff like that until we kind of start, <laughs> I guess, uh, standing up for ourselves and, you know, kind of speaking up and acting out towards, you know, people laughing, you know, I, I think, and then they started to interact, you know, then came sports and, you know, just neighborhood sports and stuff like that. People, we began to be friends with most of the people in the neighborhood. But other than that, uh, it was, it was really, it was actually difficult school and, you know, all the, the, the common things, you know, about growing up kind of difficult because, you know, we were just so poor and we just had so many disadvantages versus, what we saw at school and, you know, what you perceived, you know, from other people and, you know, throughout the community. You was know? your mom like going back and forth between a lot of different jobs? Did she have multiple jobs at once? I mean, how did that work? Yeah, kind of, you know, throughout my childhood, but ultimately she raised us out of a nightclub. Okay. She was more of a waitress there and she did that for many, many years. And then she kind of moved on later, but for the most part, she would raise us out of a nightclub. She a single mom? Yes. Okay, so she didn't have anybody to take care of you or watch you during the evenings while she was at work. No, right? no, not really. Not at all. Where did you go to school? I went to Will Rogers, Horace Mann, and PD. Did you have uh, a good experience at Horace Mann and PD? I mean, was it a, <laughs> a traditional you know, high school upbringing? Or? To be honest, I was uh, diagnosed as dyslexic in the fourth grade. So, okay. I mean, school was always a challenge for me. After that diagnosis, did did you have somebody to come alongside you and kind of help you through some of that stuff? I mean, did you the teachers what? work with we, you? Or? I didn't really, to be honest. You know, and back then, you know, they didn't have a lot of, I guess, uh, there, weren't, there weren't a lot of studies done at that time. That was what, like the, the 80s? Time. Yes, yeah. the early 80s and at that time. So... Honestly, I think my mother thought I was more or less mentally challenged because she doesn't have an education. And so at the time, I don't think she really understood it either. I know that you got into some trouble in high school, had some challenges. Talk to me about some of, you know, some of what happened, you know, as, as you were growing up the way you did, dealing with, you know, some of the educational struggles that you had. What direction did your life take? Honestly, it, it took a bad direction. And I left home early, in fact. Uh, so my first semester of high school, I dropped out. And dropping out, I quickly got into the streets and just kind of tried to find my own way so that I could help my mother. My mother and my younger brother, they were kind of still at home, kind of back and forth in myself. And just trying to help my mother and my family get in a better place, you know, I kind of started getting into the streets and trying to make money that way. And so it wasn't like dropping out because you were rebellious or something. I mean, you were trying to to help your family? I mean, literally. And honestly, I think that spirit just it, it lived in me and it was it was so big inside of me to be a provider and try and help that it just it just became a natural part of my life. And I think that's honestly what compelled me to just move on throughout the years and try and try and try to put myself in a better place so that I could be more of a help to my family and then after doing so 
it kind of just caught on throughout the community and everybody just kind of quickly realized, well, hey, you know, if Doshan has it, you know, if you ask him, he'll more than likely help you. And it just kind of it became a, a natural part of my life. Okay, and, and you mentioned if, if Doshan has it, what, what did you have that they wanted? Well, you know, just information, direction, money. I mean, if I could help you in any way, I mean, I, I had no problem. But ultimately, it was kind of money because being in the streets and living that lifestyle, for, you know, it, it like I said, it, it became part of my life, you know, a lifestyle for me. And trying to provide, I mean, I just embraced it because that's what I actually learned. And learning that and growing into that from your adolescent stage and, and kind of throughout it became a natural part of my life. So for many years, that's what I did. And then I ultimately got in trouble. And then coming out of that, it just kind of, it actually uh, stemmed into actually getting in trouble again. And, you know, from the same type of lifestyle, you know, you kind of go back to what you know when things are not clicking, you know, you can't find work or employment or whatnot. But uh, going through that, I quickly learned that, hey, you know, this is this is not for me, you know. I re- and at that time, I'm a, I'd already had children and you know, so it was like, hey, I, I got to provide, you know, it's, it's it's one thing to try and help your mother, your sister. But, you know, when you have children for yourself, then it's another priority. So now you're faced with that challenge as well. And so it's it's just something that I decided, you know, early on that after getting in trouble, I just quickly decided that, nah, this is this can't be, you know, what God has in store for me. Tell me tell me about the getting in trouble part. Well, selling drugs and going to jail and getting out of that and just realizing just in that state and when you're in jail to just to think and, and, and be in that environment and just know and look at everybody else that's there around you. Because when you go to prison, you see all the different kinds of people that are in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's not reform in the least. I told myself whatever I could do in that state to make myself better, to be more adequate, you know, to be able to live a, a viable life and to be to be the man that I needed to be, to be a provider, you know, to be a father. Just quickly realized that, you know, this wasn't what I wanted for my life, you know, and, and although I was trying to be a provider, I was I was trying to be a provider from the wrong methods. Yeah. So I mean, it sounds to me like you had number one, this drive to provide for your family, whether it was your mom, your siblings, or your own kids. I mean, once you right. you had kids and that that, you know, sort of that sense of hustle and entrepreneurship kind of got you into selling drugs, which <laughs> as I understand it can be lucrative, you know, and then you went to jail for that. So I did. tell me how long you were in prison. I was in prison for a while, actually. I, I got a 10 year sentence and I did four years on that sentence. But when I landed in prison, I quickly made the decision that I would do everything it took to, to get my life in order. And in doing so, I just pressed into every job I could do in prison. I took every class I could take in prison. And actually, the guards recognized it. You already had like just a lot of leadership qualities and hard work ethic and all that stuff. I mean, that had been your life for several years before you got in trouble, right? Right. Right. And so they saw, the guards saw that, I guess, in that environment, and you got more and more responsibility or... You know, I did actually, and every job I got, they're called bosses in prison. And the boss that, that I worked for, he would give me a recommendation, you know, and, and I never even knew. And next thing I know, hey, Doshan, you got a new job. And I would go and report and for, for work, uh, work there for a little while, and every every boss gave me a new job, a new job. So ultimately, it ended up in the director of TDC, they hand-selected six individuals 
uh, from all the prisons in Texas okay. to work for the, the director himself, which at the time his name was Brad Livingston. And he had a, a another colleague, which was a director also, and her name was Miss Madeline Ortiz. And Miss Madeline Ortiz was the director of rehabilitation. And I became her porter, which is the person that emptied her trash, made okay. her coffee, cleaned her office. So you like had a specific assignment <clears throat> to work my, for this <laughs> that was know, my, high-ranking <laughs> official in the prison system. Yes, sir. And, and that became my job. So Mr. Livingston himself, uh, the assistant director, and then there were like all the heads, all the heads of the TDC, uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, they work in a facility in Huntsville, Texas, and it's called TDC headquarters. And they would ship me from my unit to the free world every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday. Hmm. And I would go and work for them. It was like you had a regular job. Literally. While you were in, you know, in jail, in prison. Literally. So after I worked for them for about a year, uh, I was, I was involved in church and, and we, and I was involved in uh, like unit support. So there was an activity or if there was anything going on uh, from free world individuals and groups who would come in, preach to us, uh, give us counseling, et cetera, et cetera. We, uh, another friend of mine, his name was Mr. Wooten and Mr. Wooten and I, we would, we would set up all those programs. And to be honest, we even changed a couple of laws in prison with working with him, myself, and uh, Miss Ortiz, but I can't remember the name of the oh. actual law. But nevertheless, we were heavily involved in uh, just you know support, you know, for our actual unit that we were stationed on. And my uh, boss, which was at the time Miss Madeline Ortiz, she uh, which which was a director, they noticed that I was uh, doing a lot of things a lot differently than most of the other inmates in prison. So they told me that I should be doing the exact same thing at home. So they gave me an FI one, which is they just told me that they had monitored me for the year that I worked for them and they felt like I should be at home. So And at home that just means like you're you're no longer incarcerated. It's yes. Like early release kind of thing. Yes. Or? Yes. So So what year was that? That was two thousand and ten. Uh, ultimately they sent me home. Did you get like your GED or anything while you were in prison? Or, I mean were you able to finish high school? I, I was going to school for my GED at the time, but I didn't get it in prison. Okay. I obtained it. Yeah. Out After you got out. Yes. I understand like you had family and you had kids, you know, while all this was happening, were, were they here in Amarillo? Is that what brought you back here or? Yes, for the most part. And as I said, uh, just, you know, trying to be a provider and coming back home and it was an even bigger struggle. It was like the, it was like a bigger challenge. And, uh, well, cause you're coming back to a place where you're known as the guy who in this neighborhood, you know, right. was the supplier Yes, And so you're back among all of those, whether it's bad influences or bad reputation, all those things, you got to start uh, over. I started over completely. But as you said, you kind of uh, go back to what you know. So trying to find employment, couldn't find employment. And it was just a hit and miss. It was just, it was crazy, crazy. And nevertheless, I kind of uh, got back into that lifestyle again. And then I was, I got in trouble again. And in doing so, I reached out to a gentleman named Keith Graves. And he came to my aid and he just mentored me and just, I mean, he showed me a new way to live and to do business appropriately versus, you know, and he said the same thing you said, in fact. Uh, he was like, Doshan, in essence, what you're doing, you are being a provider. You are being uh, embracing entrepreneurship. You are being a businessman, but you're doing it the wrong way. And he 
explain all that, which I knew myself, but I was trying to, trying to get out of it. I was, I, you know, it's just, it's hard. You got to do it within the system. You got to do it within the system. The system. Yeah. And, and so, and, and that was the thing. And honestly, he just showed me so many great principles that I've never learned before or experienced before, you know, because a lot of the people that I actually knew, 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 they weren't people who could teach me those principles. Right. And once uh, Keith came into my life, I'll be honest, he just taught me so many great principles and I quickly embraced them because it was what I was searching for all along. Yeah, right. It was a blessing because that's what I had been searching for. So searching for that and it came to me, I, I embraced it wholeheartedly and instantaneously my life changed. Okay. So it's like stuff that you'd been trying to figure out all of your life. You just didn't because of how you grew I, up, because of where you grew up. Literally. You just didn't ever have that in your proximity, you know, to, to figure it out or to learn from that. I did not. To this day, you know, just learning the value of mentorship, that's something that, that I hold dear to me still to this day. And I, and I forever seek mentorship because to me, it was everything I needed. So learning the importance of mentorship and to continue to further your education, to grow, to learn, to study, you know, that's just, that's what I do every day. So it, when I'm not at work or embracing my family, I'm somewhere reading or studying or visiting with someone or literally in a meeting to advance, you know, to learn a little bit more and to add to what I already know so that I can be productive because I want to do what I do now today the right way. Right. I want to embrace everything that's right about business. I don't, I don't want any shortcuts. I've learned that you do have to have people to come on board and help, but I don't want that help for free. Sure. I don't mind putting in the work, the time, the effort, you know, I mean, whatever it takes for me to do my part, I'm here. I'm up for the challenge. I'm probably the first one awake in the morning, the last person to sleep at night. That's just the life I lead. Today. So tell me, tell me about that life. You know, I, I know that full time you work for Owens Corning. So what do you do there? Uh, I work in fabrication and I basically uh, inspect the materials as it's processed. And after we inspect it, the people that I work alongside, we actually uh, package it and ship it out. Okay. And so that's, um, you know, we've talked about this off the mic, but like you're sort of in a shift work environment yes, so that you're, you're not a traditional eight to five, 40 hours a week employee. You're working weird hours and that gives you a lot of freedom to do other things, right? Yes. Yes, for sure. Not just to provide for your family, but you've got like other, other entrepreneurial types of things that are happening. So tell me about that. I currently am working on a big, big project and that project is trying to redevelop uh, North Heights. And Which is a really big project. I mean, it, right. knowing some of the needs there just to say I'm going to redevelop North Heights is huge. It is because uh, we are so void of support and just infrastructure altogether uh, in, 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 in any facet of, of existing. Uh, we're, I think we're just underserved altogether. Is that, I mean, that's the neighborhood that you grew up in? It did is. You, okay. I, uh, my, yes, it is my, all my life. Did you, do you still have family that lives in that neighborhood? Yes. I have, uh, most of my family lives in either San Jacinto, North Heights area, Hamlet. Okay. So tell me where it starts. Like what, what's the first step that you see as being necessary that you're going to try to do um, to well, develop that area? Well, the biggest issue uh, I had growing up is we never had a nice home, you know, and, and I think that impacted me to the point of saying that I wanted to try and help provide that service for for 
people that I know that still live in, live in that community that have that same issue. And I, and I feel that uh, if someone just at least had a stable place to live, okay. it's, it's life-changing. Did, did your, your mom rent a house or did she ever own anything? No, we, she's always renting. Always renting. So tell me, like, I mean, thinking back to your childhood, tell me what that would have meant to you to like have a stable, safe place to live, whether it's a place that you own or a place that you're renting from somebody you trust. I mean, how does that impact a kid to have something like that that a lot of people are just going to take for granted? For me as an individual, I, I just feel like it would have been life changing because as you get a little older and you have experiences throughout life, you kind of learn who you really are. And just kind of knowing who I am today and, you know, all the challenges I was faced with throughout life and you know, I lived a very diverse life for so long. You know, it really made me learn who I am. And I just feel that if I had a stable place to live, if we had all the basic amenities we needed in life, my life would have been totally different. Did you have to move around a lot when you were a kid? I mean, we, we did. We normally stayed, you know, four or five years, you know, three or four years in, you know, in the homes we lived in. I only remember living in like four different places before I left home, but it was all in like a three or four block radius uh, in North Amarillo in the Heights. When you talk about stability, are you, are you thinking about like feeling safe, you know, in your home? Are you talking about comfort or space? I mean, what, what does that mean to you? You know, I think you kind of nailed it. It was, it was all those things and more like anything that you have, anything to live a quality life, you know, in a home we didn't have. Okay. Except love. My mother, right. my mother did love us, you know, and she instilled us the, the basic instructions before leaving Earth. She did do that. And I think that was the thing that also helped me along the way and helped me to remember, you know, who I was and, and to be able to come back to a legitimate lifestyle and say, hey, you know, I, I did know what my mother tried to instill in me, but, it, you know, I just lost my way. You're trying to help other people, you know, other families, other kids that, that might have been like you to have, you know, some sort of affordable, stable housing uh, in that area. So what, what are you doing to, to bring that about? So we're uh, trying to put in place a 48 unit uh, low to moderate housing project and it will allow single parents, uh, the elderly, uh, disadvantaged people, people who doesn't have the best income to have a place to live, you know, that they can call home and, and it's new, it's clean, it's nice, it's, it, you know, it's a healthy environment, you know, they'll have shared spaces, you know, that they can go out and interact with. And I mean, just a place where they can feel like, wait a minute, you know, life ain't so bad after all. And there's a lot of space, you know, in that area to be developed. I mean, there, there's a lot of land there, but there's hasn't been really new development in the North Heights for how long? Basically since they built Big Carver. Okay, since they built the big high school there. And that was like the 60s, right? Yeah. All right, so 60 years since anybody has built anything new in that neighborhood. There's been uh, some some homes developed, you know, some homes built in the community, but uh, no major developments. Tell me how far along you are in that process right now. You know, we've been working on it for years at this point, And at this point, we're hoping to start building maybe... Midsummer. Okay, summer. so like you're actually starting to get like shovels in the ground and, and that kind of stuff happening this Soon. spring. Soon, yes, right. yes. 
And and you're doing it not from a uh, enterprise commercial kind of standpoint, but it's more of a nonprofit project. Is that right? It is, and uh, it wouldn't be possible without so many people in the community. Uh, there's community development. Uh, there's Emerald Area Foundation. There's Baptist Community Services. There's community development. I mean, everybody in the city, any city head, everybody's on board because recognizing where I was and where I am now and recognizing the needs of our community, I think everybody kind of got behind what they see me doing because of the fact that if you can come from that community and realize that you do have options, you know, that there are things to do, but you have to work hard and you have to put in the time and the work and the effort and you have to face those challenges and, you know, doing all those many things that I've, that I've done to us to reestablish myself in life. You know, if one person can do it, anyone can do it. And, and I think the world understands that, you know, if anything one person can do, the, another individual can do it. So I think it's a, uh, it's more of a model. It's, it's kind of like a business model. And if we can just kind of get this project done, finished, and, and the public see it, I think it'll really, really change a lot of old, old thoughts, you know, and habits and otherwise, you know, so that people could come on board and kind of start jumping behind the project and saying, okay, hey, there is hope. Yeah, because I, you know, a, a recent guest on this podcast was Mildred Darton of the North Heights, and we talked about the needs of that community. And one of the things that I left that conversation with was the idea that, that the residents there are not super hopeful, and maybe you're not really trusting that when somebody says, oh, we're going to do this cool thing in your neighborhood, they're just like, yeah, right. You know, we've been told that for 60 years. And so they're waiting to actually like see construction or to see walls going up. And then when that happens, that might be a launch pad. And for them to say, oh, somebody does actually care. Something's going to happen here. You know, I think that's honestly exactly what the community needs, because, you know, for so long, you're so right that everybody has heard so many things that were supposed to happen in the community and it never happened. And, you know, I will say this. A lot of the services that are in place for people to branch off of and utilize, they are in place because that was the only way I was able to do this. So once we're able to teach some of these, I guess, ways to do business, you know, once we can teach these ways to the general public and and show people that, hey, this is how you access the services that are in place. This is how you access this or, you know, this is the approach you take to do this. And, you know, those services, you know, can be provided through this method or that method, right. then I think it'll it'll really help change a lot. So what what do you see or, or maybe what are you dreaming about after this? Let's say, you know, a couple of years from now you've got the apartment complex built. You've got people renting those units. That's not the only thing you have in mind, is it? Are, are you looking far it's, beyond that? I am because my approach and the thing that fuels me every day is probably a lot different than a lot of other developers and business people and owners and whatnot. Because I do this because it's a matter of life and death. You know, my family and my friends and even myself, you know, I've been to prison. So people are going to prison and they're dying in my community. Yeah. So I know that somebody has to be in place that's making a difference. And and I feel like gaining the knowledge and experience that I've gained thus far, I just feel that, you know, if I continue on, if, if we can do this project, then we can do much, much more. Right. But one of the projects that I'm very passionate about is the St. Anthony's Project. 
Okay. So, and I think that project is, is going to be a few years out to come to fruition, and I'll be on board with that project. And you, you've just mentioned how much Keith Gray's played a role in sort of mentoring you, you know, showing you what's possible, showing you the, the right way to do things and how to work through the system. Can you see yourself taking that role with somebody else? You know, some other kid maybe coming out of that neighborhood who has some of the same passions or same characteristics that you had. I do, and Keith was just one of many people who uh, took on that role with me. There's uh, Miss Puff Niegos, Miss Mary Emily, you know, she heads the Salar uh, Foundation, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Miss Mildred Darden, you know, she's certainly, you know, on the front line right. for North Heights. So, I mean, there are several people. I mean, and, and, and I could go on and on and on. It would take too long to mention all the names of the people who got behind me and helped me. But I will definitely be that person on the front line every day. I want to just ask you about Amarillo itself, being a, a guy who, who grew up here and then who had to move away, you know, because of having to, to serve your time and then coming back here, does it feel different now just as an environment with some of the growth that's happening, some of the construction that's happening, some of the changes, does it feel different from what it was before? The city and like, like the in entire general? city. Yeah. Cause you're involved. I mean, you're downtown, you, you, work at Owens Corning, which is on the south side of town. You're doing development in the north side of town. Right. I mean, you're all over the place. So tell me what you see here. I see a gold mine. I see a gold rush. I see a new opportunity. I see people who are willing to put in some hard work. I feel that you could become whatever you want to become in business in Amarillo, Texas, because business is so diverse here. Our economy is so stable here for business and growth, which is one of the reasons why we're doing the the north side development, because our city is growing so rapidly and so strong that everybody has recognized, hey, we need to get the whole city involved. We need to get all these other neighborhoods that are a little bit behind. We need to get those those communities up to speed. And so, I mean, I feel like it's literally a gold mine. Uh, it's a gold rush, rather, because in Amarillo, I've visited other cities. My daughter plays basketball all over the country, and we're everywhere. And all I see is growth in Amarillo. So, I mean, it's, it's exciting to me. I don't know how other people view it, but to see my hometown flourish at this rate, it just gives me, it gives me hope. Hey, it's Jason, and I have to make a confession. I've never actually been to a live podcast show. Never. But I've listened to podcasts for years and years, and some of my favorite episodes have been recordings of live shows because the hosts interact with their audience, the audience gets to ask questions. It's this combination of entertainment and education and community that is is just always really fun. So I'm going to do my own live show, and it's this week, Friday, May 10th. I hope you're listening to this podcast before then. We're going to bring together past guests and listeners like you all into the same place at Sunset Center at 7 p.m. on Friday for a live recording in front of an audience. My guest for the evening, and this is the first time I've announced this, my guest for the evening is going to be Hayden Pedigo a young local musician who just gained national attention for his campaign for the Amarillo City Council. I'm really excited to hear Hayden's perspective on Amarillo and to find out what's next for him. It's going to be, I think, a really, really great night. Tickets are $10. They're available at bit.ly slash heylive, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash heylive. There's a limited amount of space, so I'm selling a limited number of tickets, so don't wait to reserve your spot. I'll see you Friday. 
Okay, I'm back with Doshan Johnson. Doshan is involved in all kinds of stuff, and uh, this is the first interview he's ever done, he said. So I'm glad that uh, this platform was the first place that you really told your life story. I appreciate that, Doshan. So this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight, and I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Um, your job as my guest is to answer those questions in whatever amount of detail you want to. So here we go. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? North 12th Street. Okay, why North 12th? What's I, on that street? I just feel like it's, it's the street of hope. I wish I could change it to Hope Street, but uh, that is where our project is going in, the, okay. the apartment complex. Is it at 12th and Hughes? Is it 12th and Hughes, Okay. yes. What else is on that street? On 13th and Hughes, rather, which is the other end of our block, uh, there's Delvin's Restaurant. Okay. Delvin's is a great community gathering place. Yes. A great yes. restaurant. Yes, it is. Okay. What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? Delvin's. Okay, that's a good segue. <laughs> tell me why, I mean, I've not interviewed Delvin, although I definitely want to talk to him, but tell me why you love that restaurant. Uh, he's uh, very committed to the community, and uh, he's been a great help to the community, but I feel like he was a catalyst for other business people and entrepreneurs and uh, developers to come in and just continue his what he's doing. Because he came in just a few years ago he and did. started that restaurant after a long career, you know, in Amarillo working in various places. But that like that was a new business in that neighborhood. It is. And uh, Hugh Street is one of the main thoroughfares in our in our neighborhood. So picking that street was ideal to me and it was very risky. But he, he was willing to take the risk and it changed. It changed everything forever because I, I'm shortly behind him and there's other uh talks and uh, ideas and uh, of other uh, things to come. So yeah, I, sometimes all it takes is one person one to say, person. I'm going to try to make this work. Yes. And then people say, oh, that actually worked. Right. Now, and they start sort of building around that area. For sure. That location where Delvin's is, uh, he was able to launch a, a second location and he's located in Happy State Bank in the right. basement. Yeah, downtown. Downtown. Okay. What does this area have too much of? Honestly, uh, I will say there's too many vacant lots and dilapidated structures in North Heights, Amarillo. And that's just a result of the poverty there? It a is. result of the lack of maybe attention that, that, that the city gave it for several years? I yes. mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons behind that. Yes. But it's one reason that it needs to be revitalized. It is. It is. Tell me how that can be fixed. I mean, is it just a matter of you know, some of those houses need to be bulldozed and, and we need to start over or, you know, what what's behind some of the struggles to get that back uh, in place? I think it's very simple. It's 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 unity and partnerships. OK. You know, uh, individuals and uh, groups of people collectively coming together and pulling together all of our resources, ideas, contacts, everything we have. If we if we pull those things together. I think we could easily redevelop our community a lot faster, at least, because, I mean, I just feel like that's the biggest problem. There are too many people working against one another rather than with each other. Okay. Even within the neighborhood, within yes. the community? Yes. All right. What does this area not have enough of? Unity. <laughs> okay. Unity. Why Be is that? Well, sometimes, you know, when, you, when you're without, you know, you're, you're worried about self. And, you know, sometimes when you're really, really bad off, I don't even fault people for that. You know, I don't. And it's, it's just like survival. It's survival You're not worried mode. about reaching it, out or helping somebody else. You're just trying to make it through the day. It's survival mode. Some some people, for, for the most part, if I had to guess, I would say that at least 75% of the people in, in our community, I don't think 
they 100% know if all of their bills will be paid at the end of the month. Okay. And so it's, it's hard to worry about what's happening in the neighborhood or how can we all get along better? What, what can we do when you're just trying to pay your bills or keep your lights on? If you're not sure if you're going to pay all of your bills for the, for the month, clearly there's going to be a shortage of food. There's going to be a shortage of all the basic other basic amenities that, that you have to have in a household to have a, a decent quality of lifestyle rather. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a big issue. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? Amarillo as in a yeah, total? Amarillo, the, the city itself. I and mean, we talked a little bit about its, its economic opportunity. But, you know, say you're traveling with your daughter. You're going to basketball tournaments. They say, where's Amarillo? What do you, what do you tell them? You know, we, uh, we normally reference Texas Tech, Lubbock, you okay. know, because most people watch sports. But nevertheless, we, I normally say we're about an hour and a half north of Lubbock. And I just tell them, you know, how good the cost of living is there, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, how stable the economy is. And, you know, just just overall how nice the city is, you know, and it's a place you could either further your business and not only that, but just raise a family altogether. And this is a question I ask a lot of different guests. When was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? I was about seven or eight, maybe. Really? Okay, yeah. that long? It's been that long. What do you remember about it, you know, going there as a kid and being that long ago? You know what? My family and friends trying to get me to come down off of a mountain. I, I didn't realize I was so high. I'm okay. afraid of heights. Okay. But as you're kind of climbing and playing and then you look down, it was a you, challenge. You couldn't get, you I couldn't couldn't get, get down. I couldn't get down. And what about your kids? Are, are you ever going to take your own kids out there? You know, uh, we've, we've spoken about it, but we haven't made any plans yet. All right. You should All do right. it. That's a lot of fun. I think we will. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? I enjoy all the elements. Uh, I love the coming and going of the seasons. So, I mean, I like it, you know, just watching the seasons change. And so, I mean, I, I like all the elements. Okay. That's, that's legit. Right. Some people don't don't like the winters or don't like the summers. But, I mean, if you're going to live here, you might as well like everything you get, you know? <laughs> right, right. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Palace. All right. Palace. Do you go to a specific one? I go to Palace Coffee downtown ordinarily two or three times a week. Okay. Why do you like that one? It's central and uh, it's a great place to network. I, I love the owner. I, I love the environment, the service. I mean, it's just a great place to be uh, in early morning, uh, midday. Uh, it's just, I like, the, I like the, the feel of it. I like, you know, just how inviting it is. And uh, Doshan, that concludes my eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something related to the area. So what's something that you would want people listening to this podcast to, to know about or to experience? Uh, I would like to endorse the St. Anthony's project. It's going to be a very uh, necessary project. Uh, we have several things coming into place. It will also be another structure and another property that will bring on uh, other business owners, et cetera, et cetera. It, it will be something that the general public will look at and say, hey, how can I become more effective? How can I begin to to do some things differently? How can I come on board, you know, t- to be a better help to my community? I just think it'll be a great catalyst. Another big project in the North Heights, yes. a redevelopment project, something yes. that has a lot of history, you know, in right. that neighborhood, in the, in the community there. And so once that's done, you, you see that being an opportunity that, 
launches other opportunities. You know, it, it will. It will be. A, it will definitely be another catalyst project because it, it's going to tie into downtown, uh, it's, which is ten blocks directly up the street. Uh, it's also on Emerald Boulevard in Polk, so it, it's just a, a great place to teach. I think it'll be a teaching process. I think it'll be more of a teaching process because I don't think there's any other businesses that I know of coming in and after uh, the apartments that we're doing and the St. Anthony's project, but I think the St. Anthony's project is structured to teach. Okay. All right. Doshawn Johnson, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Doshawn for the interview and to Kara Hendricks with Edward Jones for the sponsorship. This show is produced, written, and hosted by me, but it's edited every week by Angelina Medina. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Patrick Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Wilson Lemieux, Daniel Davis, Wes Reeves, Chriselda, Josh Wood, Ryan Pennington, and Corey Burns. Grab your live show tickets at bit.ly slash heylive, B-I-T dot L-Y slash heylive. Or check out this podcast's Facebook page. You can find the information there. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week or maybe on Friday. <laughs>